You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 podcast room, welcome to an off-season Colts Blue Zone Podcast. Sad to be in the off-season, but nevertheless, we will continue to bring you Colts content throughout the next couple months before the 2022 season comes around for the horseshoe. Alongside Joe Hopkins, I'm Dave Griffiths here in studio, Mike Chappell joining us. Uh, from the with the power of Beach Grove Wi-Fi, as always. And Mike, this week is uh, sworn to secrecy in parts as the voting for the Pro Football Hall of Fame has taken place. Reggie Wayne, a Colts finalist down there. Mike, you uh, would be very much uh, loved and appreciated by our listeners for uh, sharing us in on the uh, on the process of what's going on. And of course, the final result. But uh, but but. Uh, in all seriousness, definitely let us know what you can about uh, what went down. Yeah, there's 49 selectors, and if, if I told you the final five, which I do know, it would have been my last year to be a selector, so we are sworn to secrecy. Uh, I was on the radio earlier today, and I told the guys, you know, I'll, 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 I'll clue you in. I'll, I'll blink once if you got in and twice if he didn't, Reggie. Well, I was on the radio. <laughs> you guys can see me, so so I won't be doing that. It, it's just it's, it's seven and a half hours. It's long. And Reggie's discussion, each each presentation is like five minutes. And then there's discussion. And Reggie's one of the longer ones. It was about 22 minutes. And part of that was because th- this year we had Reggie and Tory Holt. And then Andre Johnson is a first-year eligible guy. And, you know, I-, I could argue strong. And I did argue very, very strong for Reggie. But the other two guys have very, very similar resumes. So it's almost... Do you like chocolate, vanilla, or strawberry? It's, it's what flavor do you like? So the, the the announcement will be February 10th. Reggie will know before that because he will be called one way or the other. But uh, it's 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 kind of funny because when, when people see the list, they're going to say, well, why didn't this guy make it? Well, okay, well, who you want to leave off? Well, I don't want to leave anybody off. I just want to add this. No, you get five. You get five of 15. So it's always interesting. It's always agonizing and occasionally you get some relief with a with a marvin or a peyton or an edgerin so we'll keep everybody in suspense on reggie and we will continue to monitor that over the next couple weeks and uh february 10th like you said will be will be the big day that uh, we get to uh talk about it really one way or another here on the uh, colts blue zone podcast as for us uh for the rest of the show Tough ending to the season for the Colts, but a lot of good happened this year as well. We'll look back on the season, really cover it start to finish. And when I talk about start, I'm really talking about last summer, really, is when it began throughout the offseason and OTAs, or the lack thereof. I'll touch on that. And uh, we'll discuss GM Chris Boward. uh, Spoke in front of the media this past week at his end-of-the-season press conference and certainly had some very notable things to to say about the future of this franchise and the future of several players within this franchise. Uh, Covering the news first, uh, defensive coordinator Matt Eberflus is certainly getting some looks for head coach. Uh, He has been interviewed by several teams, uh, according to multiple reports, including the Jacksonville Jaguars twice, and uh, the Bears reportedly scheduling a second interview with him. Uh, That's per the NFL Network as well. So, I mean, Chap, you look at you look at what Eberflus did against the Jaguars over the last week of the season, and that wasn't all that impressive, but obviously it's not just a one-day, one-game league. It's their Jaguars and other teams are looking over what Eberflus and the Colts' defense have accomplished over his uh, four seasons here 
and uh, they are impressed enough to uh, offer him not just one interview, which a lot of people get, but two interviews, and that only is given to a select few number of people. Yeah, it, it, I've seen a lot of things on social media which you take with a grain of salt because all it takes is Wi-Fi and a pulse to post anything on, on social media. But sometimes we're a lot closer to things and, and maybe we see things from a slanted eye on guys. I think nationally, Flus has looked on as a solid coordinator and a solid coach who's got the type of the, the type of I guess mindset and approach that, that's very very favorable to a head coach. I was looking for the last four years with Flus. This defense is number ten in points, number ten in in uh, total yards, number two in takeaways, number two in takeaways. With, with we could argue with a very very poor I think edge pass rushing, and number four against the run. Now they're 18th against the pass, so you can get on that, but. The point is, by and large, this has been a very solid defense. Now, we again, we're so close to it. All I, I get consumed by make a stop at Baltimore. Make a stop against the Titans in Indy. Make a stop against Tampa. But the body of work is pretty good, when, when which we'll talk about in the coming weeks, the deficiencies I think they've had at certain positions on defense. And that's not him. That's the personnel department. Joe, there's uh, certainly speculation that the Colts might need a new defensive coordinator after this year. I think last year we thought uh, Flus would be the more likely coordinator to leave, but it was Nick Sirianni getting the call in Philadelphia. Um, whether it's this year or in the near future, like Mike said, Eberflus seems to be a highly sought-after assistant coach, and he's going to have some opportunities to, if he wants to, get a head coaching job somewhere, which they're only 32, so it's it's hard to be picky. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see if Eberflus uh, takes one this offseason. Yeah, and if he goes, it'll be interesting to see if the Colts, you know, hire from within or go outside the building uh, when they go to replace Matt Everflus. It almost seems inevitable that they're going to lose him at some point in time. I remember he was getting interviews after his first season with Indianapolis, so I'm almost a little surprised Indy has held on to him as long as they have. But he's been a very good coach. He helped turn around uh, this defense, and he gets takeaways, which is the most important thing. I think people complain a lot. And, and again, like like Mike says, to take it with a grain of salt. I say people complain. That's someone with a pulse and with a Twitter account saying uh, complaining about soft coverage or, uh, like like Mike said, uh, you can't stop the Ravens in overtime. You can't stop the Buccaneers down the stretch, not not even one time. But uh, but I, I think that's a great uh, a great um What's what's the word? Uh, great thing to point out that uh, that we are very close to that scenario, and we we are analyzing all the ins and outs, and every week, and every little good and bad thing that happens. And um, when you take a step back, as Joe outlined some of these stats, and Mike gave them, like the, the Colts have had a very productive defense over the past couple of years. And Joe, I think to Mike's point that they've done this without a steady, consistent pass rush at best, or maybe a poor pass rush, as Mike alluded to at worst, I think that speaks a lot to the scheme and how effective it can be in this NFL. Yeah, he's really schemed players into to put them into good positions. I mean, the Colts have a absolute stud in Darius Leonard. I'm sure he's definitely helped with those takeaway numbers just based on his personal ability. Um, but really, I mean, Kenny Moore's a good player, and Rocky Sin uh, stepped up this year. But the Colts don't have, like, one of those high-end cover cornerbacks either so they don't really have the 12 sec pass rush guy or the guy 
who can really shut down another team's number one wide receiver. So for Eberflus to do what he has with a solid but not great group of players on defense has been pretty impressive. Colts assistant general manager Ed Dodds has also been interviewing for GM positions. Uh, he Several reports that he's interviewed with the Bears. He's expected to interview with the Raiders. And actually, just before we hopped on this podcast as we record it, uh, Mike Tom Pelissero of uh, the NFL Network reported that uh, Dodds withdrew his name from the Bears consideration right now. And if I remember correctly, he did the same last year with the Panthers when he was uh, had several interviews or at least one serious interview with them as they were looking at him. Uh, I, I mentioned earlier that uh, it, it's hard to be picky when there's one of 32 jobs here with the head coach. Same thing with GM, one of 32. But Ed certainly seems to be taking his sweet old time to decide, again, where he is going to go from Indianapolis, not if he is going to go. He seems like another person who is very high, uh, highly regarded among NFL GM circles. You, you wonder when when a guy has had an interview and then he pulls his name out, did he walk out of the interview saying, man, th- this is a dumpster fire. I'm not getting involved in this at all. I'm, I'm talking ownership or leadership. So it's always interesting when a guy does that. Uh, I, I don't believe that he doesn't – here we go, too many negatives. I don't believe he doesn't want to be a GM. I think that in his case it does need to be, if not – a, a perfect fit, a better fit. Maybe that just maybe that just didn't work for him. We're kind of reading things into this, but it, it's funny. Uh, once again, w- when you're locally, you're you're so critical of everything that happens every game, every week, every month, and we're up and down, and they're great. You know, keep in mind with two games to go in the regular season, this was a team nobody wanted to play. Remember, and everybody, every, everything you did was right. The GM, the coach. Well, now, now they just want to fire everybody. In, including the GM, including the coach. So you have to sort of find, and this isn't being homework, it's just being realistic. It's step back and let, let the, you know, the, the emotions simmer, you know, ease and then make decisions. You know, you never make, you never make a decision after, after the Jacksonville game. Cause you're sitting here, you fi- you fired everybody and you've, you know, terminated all the contracts of players. So I, I, again, I, I think across the league, the view is that the right, most of the right things are in place here from a leadership standpoint. Again, you've got an owner who's a little bit quirky. I mean, that's, I guess, a good word for it. But this guy is committed to winning. He just is. The same with Ballard, the same with Reich. You just got to you know, figure out the quarterback situation. But, uh, again, I think a lot of pieces are in place here, and they just have to get the ones that aren't in place. And, that, again, I think Ed Dodds has, has had a very big role, a big hand in what they've done here. So that's why nationally he's viewed as a very, very solid GM candidate. Joe, and if you're Ed Dodds and you're looking to move on from here, I, I, I'm not going to speculate uh, specifics for him, but if I'm someone looking on and I have options uh, in his position, if I'm an assistant GM and I had just, like, I could take my time, I would want to go somewhere that either had a good quarterback in place or had the ability to draft a quarterback in this coming in this in this coming draft. And if you look at him, if with Chicago in particular, I mean they have Justin Fields there. So for me, if you really like Justin Fields, that would be a spot that would be very intriguing in spite of ownership struggles or whatever have you. So like for him to I, I, I don't I don't know if this is just an indictment about what he thinks about Justin Fields as a quarterback, because I think it would be really hard not to 
take that leap to Chicago if you really thought Justin Fields could be uh, like a game changer, a franchise quarterback? I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting to that, but that was just my first reaction when I heard that he was t- stepping back from the Chicago job. Yeah, it's a similar one. I mean, I think we both have heard the reputation that the ownership in Chicago isn't mm-hmm. maybe necessarily the best. Right. And then, you know, who knows what he thinks of Justin Fields? I'm sure the Colts did their due diligence on Justin Fields last year when considering what to do with their quarterback position after the retirement of Phillip Rivers. So uh, I'm not sure if it's necessarily indictment on Fields ownership or what. I I think more than anything else, it goes to show that Ed Ed Dodds really likes it here in Indianapolis. He feels really comfortable and he likes his job here. So it's going to take a really good position for him to leave this for something else. That's a good point. And and if, yeah, Shap, what do you have to say? Yeah, you mentioned the quarterback that he maybe maybe he's he wasn't really in love with the quarter, but he knew the quarterback going in. He he knew that situation. That's why I'm saying maybe it was something in the interview where he got a vibe from the people he talked with, like man, uh, no, it, it's it doesn't feel right. But it, it it does seem like that he he's in a position to where he really can be selective, I guess. But like you said, there's only 32, and. Sometimes when when the hiring cycle goes around, when it passes you by, sometimes it passes you by. I mean, I mean for a long time. So it's it's always you know we always like why would this coach this candidate go to this go to Jacksonville because there's such a dumpster fire or Houston. There's only 32, like you said. So you know you know we thought that Philadelphia wasn't a great fit for Nick Sirianni because they were a mess. Turned out pretty well. It really did. So uh, I, I'm curious to see how this Ed Dodds thing plays out, if not this year, then soon. Because, again, at some point you, you need to, to kind of leave the nest, I guess, sort of. Because at some point they, they, they move on from you. Also, Colts wide receiver coach Mike Groves interviewed for the offensive coordinator position in Carolina. He had been a coordinator before, actually took over for Frank Reich in Philadelphia for a couple of years. Um, and then the Texans, uh, elsewhere in the AFC South, fired their head coach, David Culley, after one year. Houston went 4-13 and and have third pick in the draft. And, Joe, I think if you said before the season that the Texans are going to win four games, I would think that would be an absolute win. But apparently people in Houston want to move on from Culley. Yeah, and, I mean, you wouldn't know it from watching the two Colts games this year, but they actually were a pretty competitive football team. I remember they gave the Patriots a hard time. They beat the Titans one game, so... Um, I actually thought they played above expectation for what the roster looked like. I think this, I mean, has more to do with uh, who else is out there. I know the Miami Dolphins surprisingly fired their coach, Brian Flores, and there's a lot of ties between the Texans GM and Flores from their time with the Patriots. So if I had to guess, I'd think that had something to do with it. That is that is a good guess, I think, in, in my opinion. And, and we'll see exactly what comes out of that. But, yeah. Uh, a guy like Flores, a guy like Gerard Mayo has been thrown around there in circles. J- just what the Colts need, another former former Patriots linebacker as head coach here in, uh, in the AFC South because, uh, geez, uh, the, the other guy over in Tennessee has done a pretty darn good job there. Uh, so maybe there'll be another one going on in Houston. So um, more uh, Colts news this week. Five horseshoes named All-Pro. Uh, three named first-team All-Pro. That's tied for the most in the league. Jonathan Taylor, one of five unanimous selections to the All-Pro team. Uh, linebacker Darius Leonard's a third-time All-Pro. And long snapper Luke Rhodes earns that honor for the first time in his career. Uh, guard Quentin Nelson 
is a second-team All-Pro. He had been first-team the past three years of his career. And special teamer Ashton Doolin was an All-Pro last year. He is a second-team All-Pro this year. So some honors for some Colts. Uh, Mike, you pair it with the uh, the seven Pro Bowlers, of course, which were the most in the NFL. This one tied for the most in the NFL. It's all well and good. But at the end of the day, the Colts are home right now, and they're they're not playing. So, like, you're, you're happy about it. But at the same time, you shake your head like, man, they, they had the ammunition and things just didn't work out at the end of the year. Yeah, what was it was the most Pro Bowl uh, for for any team, and I believe the three first team All Pros were tied for the for the most. So you sit there and you think, really? Uh, but but again, I I can't argue against the guys that made Pro Bowl or All Pro. Quentin Nelson really didn't deserve first team. I mean he he missed what three or four games with. Uh, COVID and injury, I think it was, and and really, he, he was really good, but he wasn't Quentin Nelson. So, but it, it just shows you how they've got some pretty good talent, which means that there's deficiencies elsewhere, which we'll get into. Let's recap the Colts' 2021 season, and as I said, Joe, that has to begin last summer. Not not even just training camp. I'd say even before that. Uh, Darius Leonard had ankle surgery in late June and really struggled with it throughout the year. I mean, Darius had a really good season. Let, let's be honest. Yep. He, he's all a first-team All-Pro, like we were just saying. But you could tell at the beginning of the year that he was really laboring. It took a while for him to get get into the swing of things. When he did, he was in. He was fully in. Uh, but those first couple weeks were were a little bit of a struggle for him. And uh, but, but he ends the year, I think it's with three or four interceptions, with eight forced fumbles, with a pair of fumble recoveries. Uh, if you're talking about what makes Matt Eberflus's defense turnover uh, happy, Darius Leonard's at the center of it. And uh, with, with his surgery late June, that was certainly part of the reason why the Colts got off to the slow start they did when the season finally did get underway. Yeah, I remember they said they were going to go ahead and have a procedure on it to get it out of the way. Well, it did not get out of the way. Hopefully it has time to fully heal this offseason so we can see the maniac at 100%. But Mike, when you look at what the Colts did this offseason, it's not going to be what they do this coming offseason. I'll, I'll, I'll explain what I'm, what I'm talking about there. This is something that Ballard, Chris Ballard ex, uh, expressed to us in his postseason interview, postseason press conference. Like he's like, "We are going to have OTAs. We are Unprom- going to have un- un- unprompted." Yes, I, be- I believe it was unprompted. Nobody asked him this specifically, a specific question about offseason work and OTAs. But he he is of the ilk, and I understand why, because of how poorly the Colts started this year. That OTAs and offseason work is crucial. And if you all remember this past year, the Colts had OTAs scheduled, but then they came to a deal between the players and the front office to eliminate some of the time that they were going to have in OTAs. They just had the one mandatory week. I didn't have any other weeks, if I remember correctly, Um, just due to the fact that we're still in the middle of an international pandemic, yada, yada, and trying to stay healthy, trying to stay uh, fresh. But but Mike, if we're like I said, if we're looking at the future of what the Colts plan to do in the offseason, a light OTA is I don't think going to cut it from here on out because uh, of some really poor starts to the season where the team clearly has just not been ready to go right out of the gates. It's kind of like learn from your mistakes. You're going to make mistakes, but learn from them. And he's he made it very clear that that was a mistake. For a lot of reasons. I mean, you're, you're bringing in a new quarterback and, and, and on and on and on. We'll see how that goes moving forward. But he made it very clear that, that, that what was he said, that uh, we're going to have 
OTAs, and the guys that want to win will be here. So he 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 just he really put the onus on the players to to you're going to do it our way, and, and we really haven't even mentioned that. I don't know how it fits in, but the uh, he wants guys and Jim Irsay said this too. Remember back in was it training camp or whatever, maybe before that about guys, I'm doing all it takes to win. I want players who are willing to do whatever it takes to win. And he was talking the vaccination thing as well. Chris really did, you know, he said, yeah, we, we, we certainly want players to be vaccinated. We made that very clear. But it's the all-encompassing thing where you're, you're, you're either with us or you're not. Now, you can't, you can't take the vaccination thing any further than they did. I mean, they, they, they did everything they possibly could within the rules to, to, to urge players to get to get vaccinated. Now, OTAs are different. You, you, you can really kind of put the screws to players and, and urge them to do what you need, what they need to do. Uh, although it's still, it, it's voluntary. <laughs> it's, it's still voluntary work. So I don't know how, I don't know how much you can wink, wink, urge somebody to be there, but he made it very clear that Guys who want to win will be here when the doors are open. Be very interesting to see how that thing plays out next uh, spring. And when you fast forward to next fall, when Joe the Colts get together for training camp, uh, hopefully it will be a less dramatic uh, version uh, as opposed to last year's camp because it started out with Frank Reich ending up on the COVID uh, reserve list himself after testing positive for COVID-19. He missed 10 days. Uh, Carson Wentz and Quentin Nelson had to miss several weeks each with broken bones uh, in, in their feet. Wentz misses training camp reps with the, his first year in the system. And heck, you, you, you say that, yeah, he was under Frank Reich before, but there are differences. There are different guys in front of you. There are different receivers you're throwing to. And there are di- there's different lingo, even if some of the plays are similar from, from the past. So uh, that, that's, that's a big, big loss to have him out for a couple weeks. And then Ryan Kelly hyper extends his elbow. Matt Eberflus tests positive for COVID. And then Wentz returns to practice only to be placed on the COVID list himself as a close contact. And he misses five days, never tested positive during that time. And oh, yeah, T.Y. Hilton's placed on injured reserve with a neck injury. So it, it, I, I remember just chatting with some of the writers throughout the uh, or the other TV folks throughout our time there, just saying that th- that last period of of two weeks or three weeks in Colts training camp when they just got hit by one thing after the other, after the other, you never seen that before in their careers. And I'm sure chap would say the same thing, but Joe, as, as we were there last, last year, it was one thing after another. We were never lacking for content here on the Colts blue zone podcast. And, and it would be nice to have a little bit less content. I think next fall. Well, it was almost a problem because as soon as we would publish a content, uh, a po- an episode, something else would come out mm-hmm. um, and we'd have to, you know, wait to talk about it again. I mean, I remember calling it the training camp from hell. So it's not surprising that the team started out the season the way they did. Mike, when you look back at this training camp, uh, like I said, it, it seems like it's one that really stands out in terms of, any training camp, the writers who've been here or have covered other teams before, this one was unique for the for just how how crazy it was and how many things that were major storylines popped up even throughout the first couple weeks or two, a week or two of camp. Yeah, it just wasn't news. Like you said, it was it was major. It was your quarterback. It was your all-pro guard. It was your left tackle coming back from an Achilles. Remember, he, he didn't take a – he wasn't cleared until it was over with. And, and, and then T.Y., I mean, we were there watching that last practice indoors. 
and he lands awkwardly and gets up and then he goes back in and you think, okay, no big deal. Well, then he's got a disc issue. So it was one thing after another after another. And again, they pra- it's funny how you, know, you practice for a reason. It's the old Allen Iverson. You know, we're talking practice. Yeah, we're talking practice. And, and Frank tried to downplay it somewhat. You know, it's funny how when you've got things going well and everybody's practicing, then practice is important. And then when things happen and guys don't practice, well, well Frank at one time used accumulated reps. I think it was Carson Wentz had been out or somebody. Well, he's got accumulated reps to build on. No, you don't. It, it's If you don't practice for, for a week, it hurts. It just hurts. So, you know, they, they, they practice for a reason. And, and the one thing the Colts have always done during a season is they give veteran guys, veteran days off, whether it's a Thursday or whatever, for rest. But but when, when they can practice, they practice. So everything from the start conspired against them. And maybe they still start 0-3, 1-4, I don't know, because that seems like what they do, What they, that's what they did in Frank's first year, whatever. But it was not only was it was it issues, then you've got the first part of the season, which is just a meat grinder. You didn't have, you know, some easy games, you, you come out and you have to play right away against some strong teams. So it, it was, yeah, it, it was a training camp from hell. And it was, it was one thing after the other. I, how many times I went into a day thinking, yeah, I'm, I'm going to write about this. And you can't because that happened. It was always something with this team. And that's not the way you want training camp to go. And they came out of training camp to the opening of the season going 0-3, losses to Seattle, the Rams, and then at Tennessee, uh, they got Seattle at the worst possible time they could this year, back when they were uh, not beaten up with injury and uh, and were playing very well at the start when uh, when Russell Wilson was fully healthy and was happy with being in Seattle. Uh, they got the Rams when they were playing well, and then that loss to Tennessee when Carson Wentz had zero good ankles, when he was just an absolute statue in the backfield, and we were talking about it being near malpractice that he was in there uh gm and personnel malpractice to not have a backup ready that was better than what carson Wentz showed in tennessee gritting it out to try to be on the field do what he could um but but you look through those that three game start joe to the season the offense averaged less than 19 points per game the defense gave up nearly 27 points per game it, it was it was a cluster in both in in both areas. I'm not just completely blaming the offense there and Carson Wentz for sure. I'm not because the defense gave up a lot of points. Offense couldn't keep up, and, and the Colts started off the season 0 and 3. Yeah, and a, a big reason for the offensive struggles, even before Wentz got injured, was the offensive line really had not come together yet. I mean, we're talking about Fisher didn't come back to week two and still had to get himself into form. Uh, Quentin Nelson. Um, was back in week one after the foot injury. Braden Smith got hurt in week one. Uh, he had a really nice end to the year, minus Jacksonville. Um, but he was out for several weeks after getting hurt in week one. And then Ryan Kelly still didn't look quite right with the elbow injury. Um, during those first three weeks, the offensive line gave up eight sacks, and the running backs averaged just 3.9 yards per carry. Mike, when you look at the the start to the season, we asked Frank Reich about this again in, in his postseason uh, chat with the media saying that it just takes so much energy to climb back from 0-3 or climb back from 1-4. And and we speculate, of course, now as to what happened to the Colts against the Raiders and against the Jaguars. We might have to look all the way back to the first couple weeks of the season to see them going 0-3, 1-4, 
to get our answer, or at least part of our answer, as to why the end of the season was so bad. They could have been just completely out of gas. Yeah, and the problem, you, you hate to go there because now we're making excuses for why we they, are. They, yes. they choked. But there's a difference between excuses and reasons. And I think that certainly can be a reason. Some You see so many games where it takes so much energy and effort and everything has to go right to come back from one and four. Or for, you're down 20 points in the, in, the, in the second quarter in the NBA game and you make it all the way back and then you've got nothing left once you get back. It did, again, Wentz played awful the last two weeks. He, he played really poor the last seven or eight games, six or seven games. But I just thought that the, the, the vibe from the team, the team-wide, was just kind of listless, and, and it lacked energy. And I think it might be a reason that they, they spent so much to get back. And, you know, how, how does a team go back-to-back beating New England – and Arizona. Now I realize those two two teams got boat raced in the playoffs, but but at the time that they were they were playing very well, and and then you go out against the Raiders in, in Jacksonville. So I, I I do think that, like you said, the tank was just about empty. I don't. It, it seems like it, but uh, so again, I, I think there's reasons not to make excuses. There were other things that went on as well, but I do think there was something to the fact that. They spent so much energy to get back. They had nothing once they got back. Well, they the energy spent was certainly going to improving the record. They went on a nine and three run after starting zero and three. Uh, offense averaged uh, twenty nine points per game. The defense only allowed nineteen. So, Joe, they're averaging ten points better than their opponents during that time. You're going to win a lot of games. Their only losses were to Baltimore in overtime, Tennessee in overtime, and against Tampa Bay, one of the best teams in the NFC. They beat four playoff teams during that time, three of them on the road, as Mike alluded to. And Jonathan Taylor had 11 games with more than 100 yards from scrimmage and scored a total of 19 touchdowns. This was a, and, and Carson Wentz played well. He had 22 pa- touchdown passes, just five interceptions. Everything was clicking right during the middle of the season, it seemed like, except for sometimes, like the fourth quarter against the Ravens, uh, like the defense not being able to get out one of those late stops in the second half against uh, against either um against against the buccaneers Uh, this was certainly the 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 prime time the pinnacle of what the colts could perform during this stretch of the season yeah and at this point in time you're thinking this team can really go far i mean you're hoping that they can make up for the zero and three start but at at this point in the season this is what chris ballard and frank wright kind of envisioned this team being when they're all playing their best at the same time um there were certain times where maybe one unit would kind of have a lapse like the defense, as you mentioned, or Carson Wentz uh, for the potential game-winning drive against the Titans. Um, But it wasn't all at once where everything fell apart like we saw with Jacksonville, where one unit would kind of have a lapse, the other unit would pick the team up, which is what's supposed to happen uh, when you're playing complementary football. Joe, uh, rather, Mike, I think when when we're analyzing this entire season as a whole, uh, like you said, a- after the Jacksonville game, the, the idea is just fire everybody. And uh, Chris Ballard even admitted to us that when he spoke to us, the poison wasn't all out yet. That was a, a direct quote from him. But when you go back same. and look... Yeah, yeah, same for Joe. <laughs> uh, Joe hasn't even watched the final hard knocks uh, of the year. Uh, I, t- I took my dog's Colts bandana off, man. I can't oh, look at it no. right now. Oh, It'll come back on, but it's going to take some time. But, but when well, you look I, back... Joe, and then, I, yeah, I, go ahead. Joe, I, I see you're wearing a... And I use sweatshirt today. You're going to take that off if Purdue 
beats their rear ends on Thursday? No, because I have less faith than I did in the Colts. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, when you look back and you analyze this entire season, when that poison is completely out, Mike, you can't ignore this middle stretch of the season when so much went right for you, when you saw a lot of good things, and when, and again, something that Chris Boward said, a lot of people around the country were pointing at the Colts as one of the most dangerous teams in the AFC. There is, a, there is absolute truth to what happened at the end of the season, but there is also absolute truth to what happened in the middle of the season. And you cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. You cannot ignore the good things that happened to this season. The challenge is for the people in the personnel department, for Chris Ballard, for the coaching staff led by Frank Reich, to make it make sense together. And I think that's one thing that is incredibly frustrating for a lot of fans out there right now, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast, because it doesn't make sense to them. The fact that they could be so good in the middle of the season, so highly regarded, and end so poorly the way that it did. So that, that's what they're trying to figure out right now in Horseshoe Headquarters, is how can those two teams be the same type of team what explains it what is going on behind the scenes to make that happen and like i said that is what has led to so much frustration from outside of that building i think right now during the offseason yeah I, I talked i was able to talk to jim ursay the day after the collapse in, in jacksonville and remember he called frank and chris to his office that night which they just don't do you just don't that that when when things are that fresh, good or bad, you don't do it. You let things settle, and he made it very clear he he was infuriated, he was frustrated, infuriated, whatever you want to take it to. But then he said you've got to settle down and let let the you know again Joe's not there yet, but you need to let the emotions subside and don't you don't make rash decisions based on Jacksonville. So it's 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 just critical, like you said, to 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 understand what went right. Who are your core players? Who who are guys that are part of the solution moving forward and which ones aren't? And that's why these guys get paid the big bucks. And that's why I think, you know, it's very important. Like I say, I, I, I keep going back that with two games to go in the season, a lot of people, again, like you said, this is a team no one wants to play. That wasn't us saying it necessarily. It was, it was the national people saying it. So now they've got to figure out how to, how to you know, meld the two together, and that's that's not easy to do. And over the last couple of weeks of the season, you all know how it ended. It ended incredibly poorly. The Colts finish 0-2. The offense scores just 31 points in the last two weeks. Uh, they look flat in both games. Defense gives up nearly 50. Offensive line struggled, allowing seven sacks. Jonathan Taylor didn't have the same run lanes he had in the middle of the season. Carson Wentz throws for less than 200 yards and 60% completions in both games and uh, has two turnovers and two touchdown passes. So when you look at how the season ended, the blame is everywhere. It goes, it infests that building. It should at West 56th Street from the top to the bottom. The defense was bad. The offense was bad. The coaching was bad. It was just a, a, a horrendous finish to the season. But I think any discussion for the offseason understandably begins with the status of the quarterback, Carson Wentz. And he has his share of blame for what happened for the end of the year. I think if you want to put all the blame on him, you're an idiot. You are an absolute idiot for many reasons. And and I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll stop my my rant there, if, if you can even call that a rant. Look at the entire season for Carson, Joe, if we're, we're trying to analyze 
what what he did well, what he did not do well. He had 27 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. He lost five fumbles. He completed 62% of his passes. Yards per attempt was 6.9. I think Frank Reich said you want somewhere between 7 and 9, so you're a little bit below the uh, the ideal spot right there. He ran it 57 times, uh, averaged less than four yards per carry, scored a touchdown. Uh, you, you have some good stats here to kind of show that the drop-off from the first half to the second half of the season was pretty clear. And uh, Frank Reich kind of pointed to the fact that the Colts got a lot more run-heavy during the second half of the season, a lot more run-heavy, and he said that that's certainly part of it. But I wanted to give you the chance to explain uh, and show the stats that, that you point out here as to the, the drop-off in Carson Wentz's production during the final half of the season. Yeah, that drop-off is pretty pr- significant here. I mean, Carson Wentz, 35, for the whole season, 3,500 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, 7 INTs. He went through all that. During his first nine games... He averaged 33 pass attempts, 244 passing yards per game. Seems like a long time when Carson went through for over 200 yards, mm-hmm. and that was normal. Um, he averaged 7.3 yards per attempt and had a 17-touchdown to three-interception ratio. Over the last eight games, 27 pass attempts per game. So it was down, but it wasn't you know 10 less passes per game. 170 yards per game passing is what he averaged. 6.3 yards per attempt, so a whole yard drop-off per attempt, 10 touchdown passes to four interceptions. Um, so you just look at his production, and it's not just that he was passing less. It's that he was less efficient when he was passing. He, he passed for less touchdowns. I'm sure the Colts ran a little more in the red zone, and that had something to do with it. But across the board, um, his performance dropped off, and that just kind of quantifies it right there. Yeah, I want to. I want to just add to, to to that, and everything you said is true. When you say his performance dropped off, I agree that his performance dropped off. But whenever you're saying that the quarterback's performance dropped off, the offensive line's performance dropped off, the wide receivers' performance dropped off, I think that there was there was a lot that went into it. But um, uh, and and I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for Carson Wentz. Like Mike was saying earlier, I want to point out some reasons. For what's going on behind the scenes and Frank Reich gave another reason that they were running the ball more um, we've lost Mike for the rest of the day unfortunately you can check out his work online fox59.com cbs4indy.com and there you can also find the entire uh, one hour and uh, six minute that we uh, spent with Chris Ballard from uh, the end of last week a lengthy Q&A. By the way, I should start a GoFundMe for Mike Chappells, get him some new internet out just, there. Just, just <laughs> send that GoFundMe to the uh, the township of Beech Grove and get them to improve their logistics and their uh, uh, everything, their infrastructure down there with, uh, with Wi-Fi. Um, the entire press conference, like I said, can be found in Mike's articles online, fox59.com, cbs4indy.com. Um, some of his more notable comments, uh, a lot of them surrounded quarterback Carson Wentz. Uh, Ballard, he declined to say whether Carson Wentz would be his 2022 starting quarterback. He said, just sitting here today, just so you all know, I won't make a comment on who's going to be here next year and who's not going to be here next year. That's not fair to any player. I will add that just a few minutes after that, he said Quentin Nelson is a Colt. We want him to be a Colt for a long time. Yeah. So so take that. Take what he said with a grain of salt. Uh, he can be specific when he wants to, and he's going to be not specific when he intends to be. And with Carson, he intended to be not specific. Um, how he feels on the trade for Wentz, uh, quote, after Philip retired, we made the decision to move on, uh, to make a move on Carson. At the time of the decision, we felt good about it, and I still don't regret the decision at the time. 
Again, that's a very specific at the time. At the time, he he's being might very, regret it now, yes. but not at the time. Yes, he he did not say that again. Yeah, but he he was very specific on what he said. And then I thought Carson did some good things, and there's a lot of things that happened that he needs to do better. Our passing game has to be better. And uh, talked about long-term answers and short-term answers. Quote, I don't know if that's alarming. Uh, wait, uh, if it's alarming, if the team won't comment on whether Carson Wentz is the Colts' long-term answer. Ballard said, I don't know if that's alarming. We're going to evaluate and do what we think is the best thing for the team and the organization, and we do that with anybody. With anybody. And his overriding message to Carson was make the laps, make the laps, and I, I, I think that's a good, that's a really good, like one sentence analysis of the season for Carson Wentz and the passing game is to make the laps. If you don't make the laps, then uh, if you continue the basketball analogy, Joe, Frank Reich wants this offense to be dynamic. If you don't make the five and six yard completions then the defense doesn't have to guard the five and six yard completions. Like they can stay back and try to keep you from being a dynamic offense. They can fall deeper into coverage. And if you want to have a dynamic offense, you need to have the short game working as well. And that is something that the Colts did turn away from when they become came more run heavy. They tried to be more big play oriented in the passing game. They didn't do as much in the short term. They didn't throw to Jack Doyle all that much, you know, the second half of the season. He was more he was more used as a blocker in in the vast majority of his reps. Um, but at the same time, if you're if you're Chris Ballard and if you're Frank Reich and if you're Carson Wentz and the entire offensive staff, you need to get that short passing game better in sync and make the layups so that the defense to continue the basketball analogy condenses a little bit in the middle and opens up the three point shot. When I get when you're running the ball 30 times, you're going to want to take a few shots down the field just to keep the defense honest. But to your point with making the layups, this team was not built to regularly convert third and tens. It just wasn't. Um, you need to hit that five-yard pass on first down to set up second and five. That maybe leads to a third and two where you could run it, you could pass it, you could do whatever. When you're facing third and longs consistently, you got a left tackle who struggled in pass protection, and you got really one reliable wide receiver, Michael Pittman Jr., and then everybody else makes a play every once in a while. So this team uh, is built to where you have to make the layups, and you can't consistently bail yourself out on third and long because you don't have the personnel to do so. Some more analysis from Ballard on the quarterback position. You've got to get consistency there. And the years we've gotten it, we've been pretty good. I thought we had it until the end of the season. That's just something we've got to continue to work through. And then more uh, more telling quotes about his future with the Colts. Quote, I'd like for Carson to be the long-term answer or find somebody that's going to be here for the next 10 to 12 years. Somehow, Sometimes it doesn't work that way, man. Um, I thought that was the most telling quote that he gave. I mean, sometimes it doesn't work out that way, man. Um, I mean, that's that's pretty rough. I mean, he also made comments about he can't put it all on Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz had his good moments. But I thought as far as a GM talking about a current their current quarterback, that was about as rough of the press conference as you could really do. Here's my response to that, and I think that uh, I think that you make some good points. If you think, if anyone out there thinks the Colts are moving on from Carson Wentz this offseason, I encourage you just to take a step back and think for a minute. Because like Chris Ballard said, 
he doesn't want to keep band-aiding the quarterback position. That's something else he said in this press conference that is out there. And right there, like you said, maybe one of the most telling quotes, I'd like for Carson to be the long-term answer or to find someone that's going to be here for the next 10 to 12 years. Right now, your options are Carson Wentz, draft somebody that you know is going to be the guy for the next 10 to 12 years, or you want to be the guy for the next 10 to 12 years. And you don't have a first round pick to do that, by the way, you're not picking until number 48 or go out and get a free agent quarterback or trade for one. Now, since you're not drafting until 48, I highly doubt the Colts are going to um, be able to get a long-term quarterback in this draft. If you're talking about trading for a quarterback, teams that have the franchise quarterback really don't want to trade him away. If you're anticipating trading for a franchise quarterback that is available, someone like a Russell Wilson, you'd have to give up a lot, first of all, and you don't have a first-round pick this year. And Car uh, Russell Wilson's not going to be around for 10, 12 years, like Chris Ballard said. He's willing to do more short-term solutions, like he said, but he's not the ideal scenario. And look at free agent quarterbacks this year. H have you looked at the free agent quarterbacks this year? Like, it's not an impressive list. Andy Dalton might be the most impressive free agent quarterback this year. Ben Roethlisberger is going to retire. Ryan Fitzpatrick's 39 years old. You've got Andy Dalton, who's 34 years old. You've got Cam Newton, who's 32 and just a shell of himself. Jameis Winston might be the most intriguing guy out there because he's only 28. But at the same time, uh, you, you can't tell me that Jameis Winston is a notable improvement over Carson Wentz. Can't do it. Yeah. Like, maybe Mariota. Again, that's the thing, Joe. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're, you're yeah, grasping I'm straws I'm yeah, for, for yeah. Marcus Mariota in there. Like, like who's better than Carson Wentz out of out there? Who do you know is better than Carson Wentz in this free agent group? There is nobody that you know is better than Carson Wentz in this free agent group. I mean, it gets to the point where Jacoby Brissett is on this list, and you have to talk about him. And everybody knows exactly what Colts fans think about Jacoby Brissett. He was good for a time. You do not want him as your franchise quarterback. You just don't. So, all that to say, I would be very surprised if the Colts moved on from Carson Wentz this offseason. Because of some things that Chris Ballard said in this press conference, because of who else is available out there, and because of the resources the Colts have at their disposal to go out and get somebody right now. As we have said on this podcast before, last year, when the Colts made this deal for Wentz, he had four years left on his contract. Essentially, they could go two years, is what we said, and get out of it very much scot-free. So it always appeared to me to be a two-year, we'll-see-how-it-works deal. If you look at this first year, some things worked and some things didn't. This next year is going to be completely under a microscope from start to finish, as if the first year wasn't already. But I just, Joe, I just can't see unless there is a dramatic shift, a turn of events, which there's always possibility out there. I cannot see the Colts moving on from Carson Wentz this offseason. I just personally can't see it. The Colts are kind of stuck in the same place they were in last year where, you know, Carson Wentz wasn't the ideal solution last year. There is a reason Philadelphia wanted to get rid of him, but he appeared to be the best solution for them at the time. Uh, you could argue about maybe the Colts trading up and drafting a guy. You know, based on what Justin Fields did this year, I don't think they would have been 
better than nine and seven if they had traded up and drafted Justin Fields and he had played for them in 2021. Um, I, I think based on what your comments, I think there's a little bit of a higher chance that the Colts move on from Carson Wentz. Uh, um, I definitely wouldn't say it's more than likely that they move on, but I would say maybe 40% chance they move on. Or I think it is very likely that they at very least bring someone else in. And if things go down the drain with Carson Wentz, they have someone else that they can turn to, which is something they should have done last year anyway as a backup quarterback. And that's how they can frame it to Wentz. Because Wentz still has the uh, uh, almost as high a ceiling as anyone in the league. But he also has that low floor, and it kind of just depends on what week you get which version of Carson wins. And again, that's something that Chris Bauer also alluded to in the press conference, pointing out that throw against Arizona to Des Patman in the back of the end zone, saying there are maybe two or three quarterbacks in the NFL who can make that throw. But that was in the make the layups discussion. Like You, you can make those dynamic plays. He missed five layups earlier in that game. Yes, but but make those layups. Yeah, so I think it's tough. I You know, I mentioned Mariota. I would love for the Colts to at least bring in Mariota. So at very least, they have a decent backup for if Carson Wentz gets hurt again. And if Carson Wentz really struggles, Mariota is a former... He's also a former second overall pick who has some talent and can do some things for you. I don't want to be disrespectful of Sam Ellinger right now, but the, the fact is that we, we have no idea about what he can do. Absolutely no idea what he can do. So in our discussion about a backup quarterback, that's kind of the foundation of it, right? Well, in our, you know, even our biggest hopes from Ellinger are we think he can be a good backup one day. Like right. no one is talking about a six-round quarterback being your franchise guy. Tom, except your, if you're well, Tom How Brady. many of those are there? Yeah, there's <laughs> there's about one, one of Tom those Brady. Guys. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Uh, outside of Carson Wentz, Chris Ballard had some comments on Frank Reich that were a lot more, a uh, lot more uh, confident, saying we are lucky to have him. I promise you. And of course, Joe Frank Reich had some got uh, was under the microscope a bit himself after how the Colts ended the season, um, and and the most the most ridiculous. Uh, folks with a pulse and a Twitter account online would would be calling for his head or his job. I saw some people call for Ballard too. Everybody, oh. fire them all! <laughs> Get everyone out. These guys were just extended to 2026 know, during the summer, happen. so it's not gonna it's, happen. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. I like Frank Ray. I don't think he deserves to be fired. I mean, I think I think he's done a lot with what he's given, and um, I mean that that stretch during the middle of the season. I'm not. Not sure how many coaches could inspire that out of their team. Chris Ballard on the left tackle position. Quote, the left tackle is what the left tackle is. We short-term fixed it. We've still got to be looking for a long-term solution there. If we have to short-term fix it again uh, because a long-term solution doesn't show up, that's what we'll do. I think the Colts got Eric Fisher hoping that he would return to his Pro Bowl former from a year ago. Joe, that absolutely did not happen. I don't know if it was still an injury issue for Eric Fisher throughout the year. But he was certainly not a Pro Bowl left tackle for the Colts. Yeah, and Ballard, you know, brought up the fact that he missed, you know, uh, training camp and preseason, and he didn't get a chance to work on. He said we're we were asking him to do a lot of new things that he hadn't necessarily done before, and boy, did that show up in pass protection. I thought he was a good run blocker, but when you have a left tackle, you need him to protect your quarterback's blind side. And I would say Eric Fisher accounted for at least two or three of those fumbles that Carson Wentz lost there. Um, you know, well, one I, was the Tampa Bay one where he had to 26 straight plays pass block against Shaq Barrett, which I still maintain is coaching <laughs> malpractice, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I wouldn't rule out the Colts bringing back Eric Fisher. I do think he'll be better in his second year off of the Achilles second year in the system gelling with that offensive line. 
Um, but I think the fact remains that they're going to look for a long-term solution because Fisher is on the other side of 30, and not everyone's Andrew Whitworth where you could play till you're in your 40s. And for the record, Chris Ballard is not going to move Quentin Nelson to left tackle. Yeah. Let's put that to bed after Ballard said, no, why would you move a Hall of Fame left guard to play left tackle? That just makes no sense to me. So, so let, let's, let's never talk. So stop putting this on our rundown, Joe, <laughs> for the love. We're not going to do that anymore. Uh, wide receivers. Chris Ballard says, we've got some good young players. I think every year we're trying to upgrade that position if we can. Would I like two or three dynamic wideouts? Absolutely you would, but I think we've got some good young players to work with. I guess we'll see what happens going forward. See, the way he defends his wide receiver room, which we've all called a major hole on the team, mm -hmm. based on the way he defended his quarterback, Carson Wentz, just kind of makes his comments seem all that much stronger to me. I was kind of looking for more when he was talking about his wide receivers. He kind of talked up Mike Strawn and Des Patman and, oh, Ashton Doolin did some good things this year. I think any of us, if we're being honest, would say the wide receiver room is not good enough no. to compete um, when it comes to when you're playing the best of the best, when you have to win a shootout against Tom Brady or someone like that. So I, I, I thought those were a little soft comments there. So it just goes to show that, you know, maybe on, without context, his comments on the quarterback don't seem that harsh. But when you compare it to what he said about other positions, they look, they look a little more strong. On the futures of T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle, Ballard said he hadn't talked to T.Y. yet, but I love him. Jack Doyle, I did talk. Uh, he's going to take a week or two and think it through. We'll know more in the next couple of weeks. Joe, these two are the two longest tenured Colts. T.Y. came in the 2012 draft. Jack Doyle came in 2013 as an unrestricted uh, free agent, actually a, a free agent that was cut by the Tennessee Titans and uh, has got a spot here and got two free agent contracts after that, which is, oh my goodness, the un unrestricted free agent's dream. And these two guys have been fan favorites for a long time, but I think it's about time the Colts fans get ready for the end of an era with these two guys. And if not, if not this offseason, then the extremely near future. Yeah, I remember during their own press conferences where T.Y. and Jack, they both spoke for themselves. Um, T.Y. said he's going to take a couple weeks to kind of reflect, but he thinks he knows what he's going to do. And Jack kind of agreed um, that he's in a similar position. And that just kind of tells me, I mean, when you think you know what you're going to do, I, th I think both these guys have in their minds that this is probably the last year for them. Uh, I think Jack you know, could perform at a similar level again next year more than what ty has in his past ty's the decline has been pretty sharp over the last couple of years with him um, and just the injuries and everything has piled up and jack's battled through things this year as well still a wonderful run blocker and a reliable receiver even though i, I might be able to beat him in a race at this point but um you know I, I would expect both these guys to go and they they were great colts for a long time we are going to wrap up our discussion with the pass rush and joe we talk about this stupid pass rush every year. I swear, like, and it just it doesn't get considerably better. Chris Ballard really took a big swing, I think, this last off season on his young guys, and let Justin Houston go, let Danico Autry go. It was really ride or die with the very much like the wide receivers, a good young group of talent. I think is how you would describe it, but. The, uh, the negative on the – whenever you have a, a, a group that you explain, that you describe like that, oh, we've got a lot of young guys we like and a lot of young talent, you think that the, the ceiling could be high, 
but that usually means the floor is pretty low, too. And we've seen that both with the wide receivers and with the pass rush. The Colts finished 25th in the NFL with 33 sacks, uh, as opposed to the Steelers, number one, who, were fi- who had 55 sacks, just considerably more. Uh, and there were a couple who were 50-plus, I think, this year. Um, the, the Colts did not get after the quarterback well. Um, they could only, like, DeForest Buckner, I think, had a down year rushing the passer himself, I think too. He had, like, seven. Yeah, which is fewer than he had last year. Still really good for a D-tackle. It's good but, for a D-tackle, yes. Yeah, seven but not is, what yes. he did. La- what did yeah. he have, like, 12 last year? Yeah, he had a bunch. He was between 10 and 12, I believe. Um, but uh, Chris Ballard said, on defense, we've got to rush the passer better. It's a passing league. You have to be able to affect the passer. And you've also got to have eight of them, meaning eight defensive linemen, because they like to rotate those guys, rotate those eight. And do you like what Quiddy Pay did this year? I think you do, but he only had four sacks. What did we say preseason? We were, I no, you were hoping for eight. eight. Like, I was hoping for eight. So he got half of what you were hoping for, right? Yeah. I said if he had you five or five bet. and a half, it would be it would be a pretty good year. And well, I, I didn't mean to be betting in that in that case, but <laughs> you know, I, I would have liked to see him do a little bit more, but. Dio only had the half sack. I think that was it. It was a big half sack that forced a fumble on um, on Trevor Lawrence that helped seal the game, that first w- uh, game against the Jaguars. Um, but him coming back from the Achilles certainly wasn't at full faculty. Um, Tyquan Lewis, man, and this is something that Chris Boward also said. He brought up Tyquan Lewis two or three times in this postseason press conference, completely unprompted saying that he's a good young player. It hurt the team when he got knocked out, really referring to the fact that you need eight guys. And just the play that it happened on, man, that was against that that Titans game. And if you don't remember it back home, well, uh, you might want to plug your ears while I describe it again. It was They were up 14-0 against the Titans. Tyquan Lewis gets an interception, and he starts running it back. He blows out his knee. He fumbles the ball. The Titans recover. So instead of the Colts being up 17-0 at the worst because they were in Titans territory or even 21-0, the Titans score on their very next play into a 14-7 ball game completely changes the makeup of that game, completely changes the dynamic of that game, and you lose a guy in Tyquan Lewis who had had a couple of good games in a row there who certainly provides depth, if at nothing else, on the defensive line. And uh, and there you have it. It, it, was, it was the worst turn of events, just a horrible turn of events that they had this season. That uh, could have that could have gone so much better in in every possible way, but it went wrong in every horrible way. So defensive end, you think will be a big priority somehow, or getting some kind of better pass rush on the quarterback next season. You hope that Tyquan's healthy enough again. You're hoping for Quiddy to take the next step. You're hoping for Dio to take the next step. But I would not be surprised if you go out and you see the Colts do something at defensive end to bring in a veteran, a guy who has been there in the past. If they're looking to spend money somewhere, you're looking for defensive end, probably wide receiver, Joe, or tight end, whatever it might be. Those would be the two areas again that it seems like the Colts would be most inclined to go after this offseason. Yeah, and, you know, really tough for Taekwon. I mean, he's a free agent as well. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Colts brought him back. From what Ballard said, I think he would love to bring him back. It just sounded like he really appreciated him as a player. And I doubt he could go elsewhere and get more money. Um, So, yeah, that was a horrible turn of events, both short-term and long-term, when he blew out his knee and fumbled the ball there. Um, And then, you know, the defensive end continuously being a problem is what happens when you miss on draft picks. I mean, Ben Banigou is nowhere to be found, and he was a second-round pick. Uh, Tyquan Lewis is I, I, seems like a solid rotational player at best, and it's tough because he had such a severe injury to his ankle when at a time when he really looked like he had a high ceiling, 
now he looks like he's a free agent as well. Um, and then uh, um, Kamoko, yeah, Kamo- Kamoko. I think Kamoko's going to be a good player. Yeah. I really do think Kamoko's going to be good, but he was a rookie. Hopefully he can take a step up in year two. Dio Nangbo, uh, I mean, I think it's a plus that he just got on a f- on the field a year after tearing his Achilles in, what, January? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but you're right. The Colts need to get something of an established presence on that defensive end spot who can give you that floor and some consistency uh, as the young guys are still working things out. I'm sure we'll dig much further into all these positions as we go forward. This is right now mid-January as we discuss Joe, I believe the NFL Combine begins in Indy on March 1st this year. So we've got about a month and a half until the Underwear Olympics are back once again. You love it. Um, in Probably Indy, last year in Indy for a while. From, could be, which is unfortunate, as as we've said many times before. If you want to do that, that event well, you do it in Indy. If you want to do it to have a show, you do it elsewhere. And I understand that the NFL wants to put on a show. And so I get, so I get why they're doing it, why they're moving to L.A. or Vegas or wherever else they want to go or Dallas uh, in the uh, the house that Jerry built down there and then can't win a playoff game down there. But uh, what happens when you're trying to win a Ford, run the 40 yard dash and get the sun in your eyes and you know, trip? Man. I don't know. Seriously. I mean, that, that was that was an issue for Dallas. Oh, it was. Apparently it was. <laughs> oh, no. But it kind of yeah. helps. You know, the Colts are no longer like the laughing stock of the NFL you. with Dallas mm-hmm. stumbling in the playoffs. So that it, and then just... completely blaming the refs for everything that was your fault oh to down the stretch. Oh I, I found that particularly At hilarious. At least the Colts didn't run a QB draw yeah, with right. 14 seconds oh my left. Gosh. As, as someone who grew up in, in the fine city of Philadelphia, you can bet how a lot of my friends reacted on Twitter or Facebook or whatever have you to, uh, to the result of that oh, game. Oh, yeah. It was it was it was quite enjoyable, and, and I'll just leave it at that. You can follow us on Twitter at Colts Blue Zone for Colts news and notes throughout the week, and we plan to be back here throughout the off season once every week. We're we'll probably shooting for Wednesdays is what we're looking for uh, throughout this off season uh, to get this delivered to your podcast listening device. Be sure to subscribe and get it downloaded right away, and uh, just be on top of the the latest that hap- happenings uh, with Horseshoe with the horseshoes uh, throughout this offseason. For Joe Hopkins and Mike Chappell, I'm Dave Griffiths. You can follow Joe at Rota Street Joe on Twitter. Mike Chappell is at mchappell51, and I am at DaveG underscore sports. We appreciate you listening and hope to see you next time on the Colts Blue Zone podcast.